Hey everybody, welcome to the Good, the Bad, and the Nerdy Movie Podcast. It's the 12 days of Star Wars, and in this case, it's the second day of Star Wars. And uh, instead of doing a song, we're just going to do a reposting of a classic. If you've heard it before, you can skip it, but if not, this is our original Attack of the Clones talk for the second day of Star Wars. Bruce, Will, and I discuss further. So, hope you enjoy it, and of course, stay tuned for next day, which will be the third day of Star Wars, Revenge of the Sith. Hey, Tom, it's great to be here. Thanks, for guys, for coming on. Today, we are doing probably, if we could, if, if there's a ranking of worst Star Wars movies, this is usually, if it's not in the bottom, it's in the bottom three. And trust me, there are some pretty bad Star Wars movies and fantastic Star Wars movies. But today, we are covering from 2002, directed by George Lucas, Star Wars Episode 2, colon, Attack of the Clones. Ugh. Hey, Tom. <laughs> yeah? Uh, let me state a few things up front so that you guys know what place I'm coming from here. One, I have a lot of feels about this film. Uh, I saw this in the theaters in 2001, I think is when it released. Two. 2002, I was with a group of co-workers. We took the day off from work to go see this. So I have feelings about this film. Um, the second thing I want to say is I tried to be very balanced, fair and balanced here. I do have good things I can say about this film. Yes. Oh, so, uh, so do I. So, all right. Yep. Uh, I'm just interested uh, in um, if your goal for me as a guest is that I shall just come in and, and my entire punchline is, Mr. Lucas, what the fuck? Is that is that what you're going for here? <laughs> um, that's, that's a pretty fair answer for this entire movie. I mean... Okay, so let's uh, and you know, just as Will brought up, you know, this came out in 2002. It was Memorial Day weekend, as they were as the tradition was to do a Star Wars movie back then. Memorial Day weekend, I took my future wife. We went and saw it at a believe it or not, old beat up local theater because I didn't want to pay full price. I just had a feeling, and you know, uh, and she couldn't make it through half the movie. And you know, if if I and honestly, when I took her to the car and she drove home. I got. I was able to catch another ride. I came back. I didn't feel like I missed anything, even though I'd missed like ten minutes. This is the problem with this movie. Oh no! No, there's a lot of problems well, with this movie. That's the. Well, no. I'm, that's the point. You can miss entire sections and not fucking care. Oh, you care. Well, I certainly cared when I missed parts of this film, because then I had to go back to the film and watch it. <laughs> yeah. So, I'll, I'll I'll give it a framing. You know, again, I approach things uh, from the standpoint of analysis and problem space and all that IT jargon uh, and philosophy jargon I was once trained into using. And I'm going to suggest that the goals here um, of a prequel trilogy and then the middle element of a prequel trilogy are very very difficult like this is just a puzzle piece that's hard to fit and the reason is one everyone knows where the prequel is going to end now you could say that anybody thinking that there will be three in the original which was i don't know 
very clearly established at the time Empire came out that there will only be three uh, in the sort of cycle of that uh, saga. But if you know there's three and you know the middle one is connecting tissue, that's one problem set. Like, you know that this isn't going to resolve in this movie. But furthermore, you know that this ends in a particular way because it's a prequel trilogy. So no matter how clever, no matter how good, no matter how well the characters work, unless you've plotted in such a way that there are surprise reveals and maybe you find out that things weren't what you thought they were at the start of movie four slash movie one, uh, you, you, you just have an irresolvable dramatic tension problem here because essentially nothing can happen we don't already know. Yeah. So it's hard to do this as in maybe it shouldn't have been even attempted, but I don't know that this is the worst example of a middle trilogy movie in the world, nor do I know it's the worst example of a prequel trilogy movie. And those are both because it's such a difficult space to establish narrative. So I have a point here that I would like to bring up. Go ahead. We have another major media property that also had a prequel trilogy come out that was not well regarded compared to the original. And that is The Hobbit. Yes, I, I knew exactly what you were referring to. Now, again, I have strong feelings about The Hobbit. It is literally my favorite book in the entire world. I, it was my introduction to fantasy reading. I first read that book when I was a young lad. I was sick. I had nothing else to do. Um, and I really couldn't do anything for like a week. I had some kind of terrible flu or something. And I read that book five times. Um, it's that, it gets that fun to read. I watched the animated special multiple times. And I grew up with The Hobbit. And the first film, I thought, okay... This is the movie they had to make based on the fact that they made three other movies. Let's see where this goes. The second movie made me rage quit. Yep. And the third movie I haven't seen because I rage quit. Oh, trust me. You would be more angry when you got so, to So, Oh, I'm, I've, I've been told that I would be angry. I'm not going to go into those right now. But let's, um, let's dig into the meat here. So this is the movie that a lot of people, you sort of come into this movie thinking, well, the first one was kind of okay. Maybe it wasn't what I wanted, but you know, we're still getting into the swing of things. It's a new story. We're introducing a bunch of new characters and stuff. You know, uh, maybe that's just the, the awkwardness of the getting back into the swing of things movies. And it had a great lightsaber battle. The choreography was, was great. It had some really effective moments, um, from a special effects standpoint, um, even from an acting standpoint, there are a few moments in um, The Phantom Menace where you can really see that these are good actors who can act. Yes. And then you have this movie. Yes. <laughs> I mean, let, let's be honest. The issue is not Hugh McGregor. Hugh McGregor no. is, uh, is like the, is always the, he is never, ever, ever shit on for the prequels. Samuel Jackson manages to charisma himself out of getting shit for the prequels also. Natalie Portman, you, you can tell George Lucas does not know how to direct her. 
Hayden Christensen, however, I don't understand what he was told. Uh, so we know he can act. Yes. He has been in several other films where he is very competent. Yes. Even, um, even Jumper, which is not a good movie, but a, he's good in it. I mean, we know he is capable of acting. Yes. We know that all of these people, for the most part, are capable of acting. Yeah. So I really feel that the blame, well, there's a lot of blame to go around, but the blame for the performances, if we're going to talk about the performances, let's talk about the performances. The blame for the performances in these movies falls squarely on two people's shoulders. One is George Lucas and his method. And the other one is the lack of interaction with other people that are not the person directly in the scene with you. Yes. There is no sense of life in any of this direction. There is no sense of, of scale because everything is shot against a green screen with a CGI robot in the back doing something stupid. There's a lot of shot, reverse shot, walking down corridors, people talking. It's and not in an interesting way that advances the story. You are this. I can sum it up in three words. Almost every problem in this movie show don't tell that's what you should have done but what you did was tell and not show you're gonna break whatever you're hitting will sorry <laughs> no no i mean that's the point though the it's he's saying pretty close to what i'm saying i'm thinking same thing too i want to bring up a couple of things that really is the other problem that this movie has is that the special effect now bruce you tell me before we start recording you you have uh, a lot of praise for special effects uh, i'll say they hold up better than other things i've looked at that are roughly contemporary um yeah. and maybe this is just my tastes um i actually don't find it like uh, don't get me wrong jar jar binks exists and that's an abomination um i but you know the obi-wan talking to random people in the cantina uh it actually was framed like the episode four cantina shot so that it's amusing uh, as a visual throwback and then he ends up in a diner which is weird i'm just gonna say that it's weird uh, there's even a meme around that diner but the guy he's talking to doesn't look as weirdly uncanny valley as the avatar people do today um it doesn't it doesn't look as bad in my viewing um i agree with what will said about the like the usage of this the fact that the actors uh the two shots i just praised the actor clearly actually had a bar in front of him and clearly had a relationship to his physical space and wasn't just in an empty box with a green screen so i think that's where it works best where there are physical elements in play enough to orient the actor and let a good actor do work um so i'm assuming it was shot with another human in the booth across from obi-wan for example um but i will say that those work better for me than some of the pure more, the more pure cgi contemporary stuff does that make sense it's a little no, more qualified I, I... than saying i like it i just think it's not as bad as some of the other stuff now looks now, uh, and by the way, I like that you brought up that that diner because early on this podcast, a few a few episodes ago, I did American Graffiti, and that's the same friggin' diner except in set in Star Wars world. So, right down to one of the waitresses' accent. So, he's trying to call back his own movie, which is a problem, but not a bad problem in that particular case. My issue is okay. So, there are one of the movies came out in two thousand two. 
the two towers, which has phenomenal yep. CGI work of Gollum. And that and does hold up which came out very well. Weeks before this movie. Yeah. That holds up but magnificently not- and in all respects. You don't lose the number of orcs besieging um, Helm's Deep. You don't lose any of that. So you're right. They did better. They just did yeah. better. Well, that's another theme of me being a guest is I'm just going to point out that Peter Jackson did all this better. Uh, I don't think he owes a check in this case. By no, the way, uh, spoiler, if you haven't listened to the Willow podcast, uh, Mr. Cotis, um, yeah, Peter Jackson actually owes a check there. You know, as part of scene the, by the, scene, coming scene on, by scene. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Yes. So part of the research I did for this was listening to some of the older episodes uh, and the Willow one I made specifically to listen to. And I agreed with a lot of the statements you guys made about that. So I thought this would be a good opportunity to explain why everything in this movie is wrong and it's our fault. Yes, it is. It's not our fault. It is Lucas's fault. Because our expectations were probably all over the place. Because, you know, he's building this off of a couple lines like, you fought in the Clone Wars? And... So, yeah, we get nothing about that. Now, let's also point out the fact that the Clone Wars TV series, which spun out of this movie, very, very good, also extremely long. Well, explains the problem. You when you plant seeds in manure, the they tend to grow up bigger. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. No, no, no. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this. Um, I have not read it, but a friend of mine who's an author, uh, Ian Lemke, we'll give him a plug. He's an author. Uh he has said that the novelization is infinitely better. And I will say this, the basic skeleton of the script outline here is workable. Yes, um, it is. I think the dialogue absolutely fails in every way. Uh, not just that it's not just that the actors are given no direction. It's that they're giving nothing to work with. How many times have I told you not to go through power converters? What kind of a line is that? What is you and McGregor going to do with that? How does that have any relationship to never tell me the odds? Well, it's, it's just reason, bad dialogue. It is terrible. And part of the reason why you have this is because he's telling us stuff. So the most important relationship that this movie is building up, because it didn't happen in the last movie, so you have to build it up in this movie, is the friendship and mentor-student relationship between Anakin and Obi-Wan, right? You have to sell that well. You, If you're going to tell this story, that has to be a thing because he was supposed to be a good friend, hell of a pilot, they fought in wars together. You really get a sense from your uh, episode four that Obi-Wan missed his friend and you know wished things hadn't come out that way and some of that is the the acting being incredible even in such hokey ass let's face it hokey ass movies they sold that shit um and the problem is we never see the friendship develop we're told that it developed Mm -hmm. off screen somewhere else we're told and and clone wars ran with that and built something good they did it might you know it is its own discussion of considerable length but it shows that they there was material in the narrative outline that could be worked and they just failed in every way to produce with it in my view i even think the underlying problems still flow into the plot of there is no main character in this film there's two main characters but neither one of them carries the weight of being the main character if that makes sense Yes. It just sort of 
no, you're the main character. No, you're the main character. And they throw this ball back and forth repeatedly through scene to scene. And when they finally do establish that somebody's a main character, the movie's over. <laughs> yep. The movie I would want to see is tightly and only Obi-Wan's perspective. Just, uh, you could use a little breadth from that to give it some possible, you know, set scene, you know, some third person swoop ins to explain context. But I would love to see all three of the prequels recut. Now, I don't think the raw is there for it. Oh, it's been done. Just be Obi-Wan's story and only Obi-Wan's story. And, and Anakin only exists as what Obi-Wan thinks he is and projects onto him. And that would even allow you to salvage the rather wooden performance from Hayden Christensen. You could even deal with that, I think. Oh. But that's just sort of my fantasy. Yeah, and see, that's my take as well. And the thing is, people have done that for fun. They've done fan edits of this movie where they cut almost every scene where Obi-Wan is not with Anakin. So it's just almost the entire Obi-Wan story, which is, in my opinion, the problem. Each movie should have focused on one main character. The Phantom Menace should have been Qui-Gon Jinn's story, which it, where it mostly was, which is why I think that one works better over time. The second one should have been Obi-Wan's story. The third one is, and they mostly stick the landing in that one, which is it's supposed to be Anakin's story. This one, they try to make it Anakin and Padme's romance and Obi-Wan's adventure. Too no, much. Um, Shall we talk about the romance now, or do I have to save my bile for later? No, let it out. Let it out. All right, let's start at the beginning awful. of this. So, the the problem with this love story is the setup for it is so freaking transparent, and I don't mean from a a uh, a oh you know they're gonna fall in love story because that's what the prequel says they are. Yeah, that's fine and all, but their romance is we're attracted to each other, having not seen each other in ten years, and we want a bone. The problem is it's a Star Wars film, so that's not going to be in the film. And they had to try to construct the whole thing to make it happen. And so what they chose was this wacky assassination plot. First off, Amidala is a senator from a backwater planet in the middle of fucking nowhere. <laughs> like, there are hundreds and thousands of senators in the Galactic Senate. She is not that damn important. Even if she dies... Whatever bill she was trying to get written, she had to have dozens and dozens of co-signers because there's no other way you can get anything moving through a giant galactic bureaucracy without dozens and dozens of other people backing you up, okay? So that doesn't make any damn sense. And assassination doesn't make any sense to begin with except as some stupid, stupid plot to shove two people into a room together and hope they fuck. Um, it's so bad. And then they try to make it romantic. So... Yeah, yeah. First off, why fall in love with each other? Why can't they date? She's a senator. <gasps> she says that four times in the damn movie, and none of every time she says it, it doesn't make any sense because who the hell gives a shit? So what if you're a senator on the prowl for some Jedi cock? It's fine. Um, yeah. No one cares. Literally, no one cares. Anakin is the worst person on Earth or Coruscant in this case to escort Padme to Naboo because he's what 18, full of hormones, has no idea what's going on. And suddenly Yoda's like, nah, it's fine. Just send him on. It's going to work out great. And, <laughs> and Naboo is so safe that they can frolic in a field out in the open with full sight lines from multiple cliffs where a blaster rifle could just take out someone's head without really any problems. I and know. yet Anakin has to stay there to protect her. Oh, and, and go ride, ride some animals. 
Sure. He loves riding animals. What the horrible CGI animals. And then finally, Padme is the biggest cock tease in the galaxy because holy fucking shit, she strings that poor boy along so much. I, I, this di and the dialogue is goddamn terrible. It is the worst dialogue I've ever heard written for a love story. I make jokes to this day about sand and <laughs> my spouse all the time. And every time I do, it elicits a fit of giggles. This is love that... story is so bad it makes Twilight's look good. Because you can at least imply the two teenagers are stupid. In this, Amidala's like, what, nine years older than he is? Robbing that Jedi cradle, yo. Yeah, that's never implied how old she's supposed to be compared to him. Because if they met, she, I think... I she mentioned she was the youngest queen ever elected, but she's that just raises 16. more questions. She's still like 16 like, or something. What? I know. I think she, I think they, that was one of the problems. They cast someone too young for Anakin and somebody. And I think when they cast it was right after the professional, but at the time they got the, she had a pretty big growth spurt. So growth spurt. Wow. Um, I mean, literally, that's the point. The problem was they, they, she was actually probably too old for the part when she finally got it, or then they, they did shoot him. So therein's another problem. And I mean, honestly, if you heard some of the actors, they, they almost picked over Hayden Christensen. You'd be like, really? It's like it's a hilariously people who auditioned for this part and Lucas like no you're no 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 he picked Hayden Christensen almost out of obscurity over a lot better more professional experienced actors. Well, I honestly think Hayden Christensen is not the problem here. I mean he looks like a Jedi. I mean he is fixed in my head as what a Jedi a young Jedi should look like. That's fine. He's he can he's got the physical chops for it. He um, he does the best he can with the garbage he's been given, and at least he tries. And you know he's trying because if you've ever watched him squirm in interviews, he can act. I'm just saying he can act. <laughs> so I don't think Hayden Christensen is the problem. Um, I really I, don't. I, I will. I won't let him off quite that easily. But I don't think there was any ability. I think he had no ability to influence the outcome. I don't think he even knew what his shots look like, given yeah. what I have understood is like lucas just doesn't collaborate so if you are not a veteran of you know if, if you're not uh, a, a solid like you know uh, i've done uh, many films actor i don't think anybody is going to work with you well uh, or george lucas is not going to work with you well i should say uh he just doesn't understand actors no um, and and frankly neither does george lucas understand world building and it just keeps unraveling. And I know that the last three movies are Disney scripts, but it's not as if he wasn't involved. And it just gets worse and worse as every movie unfolds because it was never built to have any internal cohesion. His time is messy. His space is messy in space. Uh, it's really like, wait, do you have any idea how far asteroid belts are from other stars? For frick's sake, in the last movie set, we had a visible planet in the sky blowing up multiple suns that you could all see uh -oh. from a planet. It's just not, he, he is terrible and just terrible with like consistent of 
relationships and a world that extends beyond the shot. He just is terrible with this. All of those endless corridor shots in his head are particular places. If you go look at the shot notes, there are places. There are places that theoretically we might want to know about even, but they're literally interchangeable lengths of corridor. Do you know if they were shooting in the Senate building or not from any of the backdrops? No. It's on the scene notes, though. And that's how bad he is with that part of it. Um, And what I mean by that is, therefore, I don't think Hayden Christensen saw anything, anything even resembling a shot take. I don't think he had any idea. When he's rolling in the grass, he just knows it's grass. I don't know if he even knew it was on Naboo. I kind of see that's my take. I don't think he understood how to act in that situation. You know, Ian McGregor and Natalie Portman had already done this before, so they had a little bit better idea. Especially McGregor, you can tell he he completely understood what he was doing. But now here's something, a fact that uh, is hilarious: How many actors played store had played uh, clone troopers in this movie? <laughs> Any? Exactly none. They were all CGI. The only uh, Tammy Morrison only put, was on set in, is Django. He never once put the uh, a clone trooper costume on. So all everyone else when they're talking to a clone troop, a clone, it's a they're talking to themselves. So I have a one question. assumes they had a stand-in. One uh, assumes they had no. a body double. No, they, no, they didn't. I have, <laughs> a, or, I yeah. have a question about this actually. Um, speaking of not being able to relate to anything. Does anyone, this has always bugged me. Now, I'm a deep Star Wars lore kind of guy. I read the Thrawn trilogy. I read some of the other books. I mean, I'm I'm kind of a nerd about Star Wars, you might say. What the hell were the Separatists separating from? I mean, clearly the Republic, but like why trade routes? Like it's never explained in the movie. And this is why they're willing to sacrifice hundreds of thousands of lives and untold billions Imperial credits or Republic credits in this case, to a war effort to what? Like, what yeah, is going okay. on? No one can... I, I can tell you all about that because I actually... Uh, this is a political thing. Well, no, no. Okay. Tell me only the stuff that's related in the movies because if it's in the Clone Wars TV show or in... No, no, no. I don't care. Luke, I'm telling you what Lucas is trying to reference. See, this is where it's the problem. He's taking references to what was going on in, in the Weimar Republic of Germany and at the uh, toward the end of the right at the beginning of the Bolshevik Revolution. He's taking bits and pieces of the German and Russian aristocracy empire and the Austro-Hungary empire. All this pre-World War One, World War II era you know, uh, country collapse bit, and he's trying to make references to all of these. Padme and Anakin's romance is supposed to be a callback to Dr. Zhivago. So we get these, he's taking all of this like pre-World War One politics and trying to insert it into this because he thought he was being clever. Sure, but you could reskin that as like space Hungary and space Austria or whatever. Yeah. But he doesn't. He just... He- makes the reference but he doesn't do the setup so actually like, exactly uh, that's, that's uh, i'm gonna go even further than that um i don't care what he thought he was doing what he did was narrative nothing can you from a watching of this film understand which events if any the emperor intended to go as that way versus what were things that were not as the emperor intended 
Was anything, could you say anything is concretely one way or the other? There are some things that are close. So when Yoda confesses to uh, the Chancellor that he can't see the future, yeah, Palpatine literally sets that up so that he'll know how well his whatever it is, Sith, you know, radar jammer, uh, is working. He wants to query the Jedi on issues and make sure they still can't see anything. Um, That's like the only scene of all of them in here where I am sure that what happened there is he put one over on them. Everything else, some stuff just happens. Like, why on earth, like, all of Obi-Wan's go find the clones? Well, one presumes this is like a fake. There's a dead Jedi Master, and the clones are obviously what the Emperor wanted, but he certainly didn't give Obi-Wan much to work with. It's not like he would let him there. Obi-Wan could never have found those clones very easily. Like, never. So how were the clones going to come on the scene if that hadn't happened? I, I think and, he find, I think he just assumed they would find it eventually. I think that's the point. Everything's all about, well, it's good. he's got a, a plan. of go- He's trying to push certain things to happen. See, that I, I give credit. They, it seems to me all of his plans are working the way he wants. Well, no. So let me, let me step in and disagree with you on that point. There is, his plans are needlessly complex in almost every step of the way, with the following exceptions. One, convincing Jar Jar to, to introduce a bill to grant him supreme chancellor powers. Yeah, that, 10 out of 10 would, would do that. <laughs> 10 out of 10 I would use Jar Jar on purpose. That was the most cartoonishly stupid, like there was, the, the manipulation there was basically a Bugs Bunny cartoon. <laughs> yes! And admittedly, for Jar Jar, it works because Jar Jar is. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's totally consistent. He's I mean, about, yeah. Unless you're under the Jar Jar is a hidden Sith. I do love the Jar Jar is a hidden Sith move there, uh, but it still works. Everything about that works yeah. given the, the shit stain that that character is. But, and he's dealt with Jar Jar probably for a, a decade now because Aunt Padme's brought him with him to send it all the time. And remember, that's supposed to be his home planet, isn't it, Boo? Supposed to be. Uh, you know, I'm sure there's a, a whole other book about explaining how it's not his home planet, but again, none of the plot makes sense because, like, so these clones again, the clone, the clone trip, the whole thing about Django Fett mm. and let's go find out who this assassin was. First off, why the hell were they trying to assassinate her in the first place to cause a crisis? Okay, was there no one else you could have picked? Like, was there no one else more important than a random I'm, I'm legitimately going to say uh, I would give it three out of ten that just the goal, because uh, he's involved in picking Skywalker for bodyguard, too. Like, the goal was that. Like, I think he had a little bit of long game. Um, somehow or other, he actually saw potential in Skywalker. Um, and, you know, he knew Dooku was at least, you know, old. So he's going to trade up eventually here. Uh, and he's just that, that I see, I see like the shooting at her is literally to get the two of them to fuck in a field. I got that. Yeah. I can live with that. All right, fair. That, you know, I'll, I will concede that point. Yeah. And, uh, it's been confirmed and, uh, this is comic, you know, which they are supposed to be canon now that he apparently did create Anakin. Like he, he went, he specifically created Anakin. So. Uh, I, I will specifically call the bullshit on that nonsense. Yeah, but the legit answer there is, and then you left him on Tatooine where you had no legitimate anticipation anyone would ever go. 
uh, no, no. In in movie one, if we're going to go back to there, like what were the emperor's goals in movie one? I don't know. He was winging it. Uh, it's, that it's one, I think th- that's the miss. That's the that's the first time he screws up because he does. Yeah, he has like three or four balls in the air and he decides to go with one plan. It doesn't work. But it do- the only goal he gets is he gets the he gets the chancellor position, which is, you know, step one. I think he, the idea is his goal is to, get, to be chancellor. Step two is to become supreme chancellor and step three emperor. So it, but, if you break it down yeah. that easy, then yeah, he, every time all of his plans work because his goal was to become emperor. Right. But it's plausible in this movie that every single narrative beat is just what he wanted. It is plausible that he wanted Obi-Wan even to kill the extra bounty hunter because he didn't need him anymore anyway. And maybe that would take heat off of it. Uh, I don't know. The, the whole idea of, well, I'll use the same bounty hunter for both of these is just weird because that's a guy who, in theory, if taken alive, can say some things like you wouldn't like that's bad. That's a bad, risky, stupid move because bounty hunters are, as seen in subsequent films, a dime a bloody dozen. And he's not even that so, good at his job. I mean, he subcontracts out an assassination anyway, but he's right. also like the micromanaging supervisor because the second she screws up, he swoops in and kills her. And it's like, yeah, it, dude, it, why? No, just do it yourself. But, yeah. but ostensibly, because it's still all, all, despite that apparent, like, mishap set, it all goes exactly, you know, everything is coming up Millhouse. So <laughs> I, I just don't know. Like, I want to go to the treatment. I want to go get the script out of the archive and go, is there like a win-loss column on this thing? Are you actually, do any of your characters have agency here? Is that the point? Because if you're going to go with Puppet Master, you just didn't do it. Like, I don't even know what he was shooting for. And so that's where I'm like throwing back to my Willow criticism. It's like, so you threw in a Bugs Bunny slapstick snowball sequence here for the sheer hell of it. You threw in Clash of the Titans monster for the sheer hell of it. Here, there's random chases to thwart an assassination that make no difference like it, it's it's actually indistinguishable if the, if the assassin gets away I, I win if the assassin doesn't get away I win like there was no drama to any of it oh no I'll tell you what that whole point of that sequence is is okay Timothy Zahn wrote how cool Coruscant was in the book so he's like I better have a cool Coruscant section yes hey there's a no you have a point runner. he does want to so there is a chip on George Lucas's shoulder going into the prequels. And that chip is, I couldn't do some of the cool sets I wanted because the technology wasn't there. That chip is on the shoulder and he does all of it. Like, and, 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 and because he's George Lucas with a billion dollars at this point, nobody says, God, George, no, we don't need to do the chariot race from Ben Hur, but with slapstick. No, no, a thousand times no. Um, nobody no. says any no to this man and it shows this is indulgent yeah. in every respect so well, it's his it's check. celebrity, that's the, that's it's a celebrity the... director syndrome right so there's the concept in writing that you have celebrity author syndrome where once an author gets to be big enough it's really hard for editors to say this is hot trash and you should throw it in the garbage that's why and, earlier works by a lot of people are generally much tighter much cleaner than later works for very popular authors I may be leaning towards J.K. Rowling here. I may be leaning towards Stephen King here. Um, And you have that. It it happens in movies, too. And this is a prime example of it. George Lucas is God King Emperor. And no one is going to say, hey, George, did we really need three endings here? 
did why are they on this desert planet called genosha i mean yeah you're setting up a cool fight but couldn't you just have that on coruscant i mean you know <laughs> next movie well, again but i mean uh, yeah the setup is i'm making the middle part and i'm already in the hole because it's a prequel trilogy and it's the middle part of a trilogy so at a certain level nothing can really happen that isn't already well anticipated by the audience and what george decided i think in a drunken bet was you know what i'm going to make a movie where absolutely nothing transpires that wasn't already said in another movie yep but let's also there's uh, two other things we need to bring up who is george lucas's mentor You know, I, I don't. I didn't research that. I don't. Francis know. Ford Coppola. Oh man. What is? Okay, Coppola we see where the indulgence streak comes from. What? The indulgence. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and Coppola specifically said it told him once, if you are the one putting the money down, you can do what you want. Because he did that for three. And Coppola did several movies where he put it. He literally mortgaged his everything he had to make to finish Apocalypse Now and to make like the Cotton Club and a bunch of. And several of those movies were, were a flop. George Lucas, at this point, is so rich because the ILM is so successful. The toy, you know, Star Wars is made and made. He has he self-financed these movies. He didn't. Fox distributed them, but Lucasfilm paid for every cent. Those the when he re-released the Star Wars trilogy in '97, that was that was to get some extra seed money to make these movies. Huh, I, that I never knew. That's very interesting. Yeah, no. Uh, and it shows, though. It shows. The lack of discipline shows. The lack of anyone at any point trying to have a, a narrative Bible at, or for the broader arc. Or even, I mean, I, I don't think anyone was saying, you know, hey, George, uh, what set will this be? We have to tell the actors things. No, no. He, he, he said, I'll choose. The, basically... You have a green screen. It's probably a corridor. All everything else is in post. It's what he did because then he had the most control. He he said as much. His own interviews led him to wish for CG, completely CGI actors. Yeah, and that's that's a. But see, you're saying other act, directors like Peter Jackson can do that. Understood how to do it right. Even James Cameron figured out how to do it right. Lucas figured out the technology, but not the personality and you know those are details that you know those directors saw what he was doing and may or at least got an idea what he was doing and tweaked it yeah james cameron developed a, a scanner for the face for the actors so they could scan their faces in as they motion captured you know in this particular case ilm hat was given the basically the total control to direct but they, they needed an animation director to help them you know, I've said it before. That's the you know all, all the all the CGI characters in the, the prequel suffer from the fact there's not someone who has an, yep. a directly handling the animation side that is an experienced animated director. Now yep. it's funny enough when the ILM did Rango ten years later, they made a great animated film because they'd had so much experience by that point doing it, and um, Gore Ravinsky was experienced in directing animation. So, so there's a problem here. Right there. We've, we've spewed a lot of terrible things all over this terrible movie. Let me talk about some of the things I really liked in this film. Good, go for it. It's a very short list. The thing I like the most in this film is <laughs> probably Count Dooku, honestly. 
Agreed. Because Christopher Lee is amazing. Yeah, and he enjoyed himself. He had fun with every moment. Honestly. He was having a great time. He got to be the quote-unquote big bad. Um, the fight scene between Dooku, Anakin, and Obi-Wan is actually one of my favorite fights because you see the, the physical acting sells everything. Obi-Wan is cautious. Obi-Wan knows what he's up against. He knows what's going on. He knows what he faces. He's the experienced older teacher slash master that samurai movies have all the time. And then you've got the impulsive, quick, reckless, but powerful Anakin. And he just rushes in and he gets his stupid arm cut off by something he was absolutely not ready for and that no one really told him to prepare for, which was which shows not only a flaw in Obi-Wan, but it shows all the flaws in Anakin. Agree. Dooku completely takes them both apart without trying, and it really sells how much skill and presence that that character has. And then we get to the lowest point of the film, but I'll come back come back to that because uh, we're talking about so, that stuff. What I'm going to say is, in general, all of the prequels had one thing going for them, and his name is Nick. Nick Gillard or Gillard. I don't know how it's said because I've only ever read his names. He did all the choreography for lightsaber work in the prequels and it's all good. Agreed. Uh, some of it's better than others. I will say Phantom Menace, it's hard to know if it's just because it had been absent from the screen so long or if it's just because it was, you know, the first exposure of a Sith with a dual lightsaber or the physical actors um, and, and the fact that, you know, it, it even, it, you know, due to the Rob Roy screen work, we even had Qui-Gon knowing how to hold a sword reasonably well and therefore translating things. Yeah. So I don't know. I think it is still better than the other two, but they're all good. Every well, lightsaber sequence is watchable clear and they have varying degrees of success but they all come up in my view a b or above you know uh b a or s absolutely agree with you okay and let's i mean ray park you know if you've seen him in person he can do he can still do those moves that's how effective he was yep. that was perfect casting as him as but i think that body. what we know is that Nick Gallard must have, and I'm going to say, I'm mangling the man's name. I needed to press the button that says how you say it. But uh, he clearly had Lucas's trust and he just got it good uh, because uh, he, it was not, there were none of the, so all of that, I don't know where I am physically that Lucas has in every other shot goes away in these sequences. Um, arguably the only one that starts to fail that, and I think it's because Lucas got too involved, is the final Anakin Obi-Wan duel in the third film. I don't think anywhere else do you have any, do you ever lose the action like in a Transformers movie? I agree. You always Absolutely. know where they are. Yeah, I agree that the, the Revenge of the Sith lightsaber fight, while visually impressive, is probably the least impactful of them except for a few key moments in that fight but for the most part it's a lot of uh, flash and flash no substance yeah but it's, it's it very might... pretty and it looks really good and at least for most of it you can sort of tell what you can tell what's going on uh, the transformers movies are a great contrast to this because those action sequences are muddy messy and really hard to parse yeah yep. well i mean let, let's be honest Michael Bay is a, so much worse a director at any of this stuff compared to George Lucas. George Lucas, whoa. Well, no, no. <laughs> no. I'm just going to say it. I don't think Lucas did this. I've watched other scenes that you know he framed. Um, and we'll just say it like 
How many seats are there in the Senate? I don't know. Lots of the things. Uh, How do you get in and out of that room? Beats me. How do those little things they all spin around in on work? Like, do you have any sense of the physicals of that? No. And that was one of his. Okay? Like, unless there's an actor with a lightsaber where you'd get your movie stuntman in place choreographing the action, it's it's garbage. So the pure CGI lightsaber-y stuff is bad. But where there's a human on the screen, it's good. Well, and uh, I think that's a clear. I, I I don't know. I mean, I may be reading too much. Anymore. I will step in and say that lightsaber duels tend to be uniformly good, if not necessarily great. They at least bring up to good. However, lightsaber fights degrade into nonsense when Lucas is at the helm. Because look at the Genosha arena fight. Yeah, that yep. that is a yep. muddy, ugly fight. There is a lot of lightsabers, but who gives a crap? Because a yep, and you have no sense of the why are they coming in from the side? You got nothing. No right. place, and no sense. There's no physicality because they're fighting CGI monsters, and it's just all very. It's all very. There's nothing there to hold to, to yeah. pull you into the scene. Whereas two actors yep. with sticks beating on each other, you you you've got it. You've got your frame. You've got your focus, and it feels oh. And, and let's not forget while that battle's going on, he intercuts this gag with C-3PO and R2. Uh, yeah. And I love those characters and he just ruined th- he, uh, and the, like, we have we haven't talked about the conveyor belt bit. Uh, you know, I, no, 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 no. I, confession. Confession. <laughs> the only real enjoyment outside of lightsaber sequences and the most sharp and profound enjoyment is I know it was stupid. I know it is in a stupid context. I don't care. Some part of me inside when R2-D2 takes the fuck off is like, hell yeah, R2! And it just won't go away. So oh, I, I like I, That's that my confession. I did not. I will, disagree with you. I will disagree with both of you. I did not like the moment that he had rockets. And here's why. Because until that moment, there were so many problems that R2-D2 got into that could have been solved with rockets. Like, I will grant you that in the later films, they don't have it probably because they broke down or he didn't repair them. You know, fine. Are you implying that R2-D2 is not a drama queen and saving those rockets for a heroic moment? Because he so is. Oh, I, he is. I do think he's a drama queen, but there were so many other moments where it would have been even more dramatic to use a rocket pack. Maybe. Or not. And I just really... It, it, it's a feel-good sequence that falls flat for me because... Nothing there is real. There is literally nothing real on the set at that point. You're just watching a cartoon. And it, it looks so fake. Me. It looks so bad, and it's so fake. And I just, the it, it's sort of like, I like the concept too. I almost like the concept, but I hate the execution so much it makes everything bad. Yeah, you can literally edit that sequence out and have no, you would not miss it at all. It's so it. It's like the it. it people talk about like the nuke the fridge bit and. Uh, Crystal Skull. No, it just reminds me of that stupid scene where Shia LaBeouf swinging with the monkey. You could have cut that out. You didn't have to put that in there. You didn't have to have the conveyor belt sequence. It, it's literally like he was just trying to pad an extra okay. five minutes. I, I'm just going to say to you both, and uh, with full irony that I hope someone listens to this episode, um, you two are soulless monsters who do not love R2 sufficiently. That is oh, what's I wrong love with R2. you. I no, no, I will concede that. that I am in fact a soulless monster. 
I love R2. I just don't like how that that sequence. R2 having jets, I'm fine with. He's an asteroid. He should have to do sometimes. He might have to fly around the ship to fix it. It makes sense. I have no problem with that. This the way it was implied, the way he had to use him. That. So now I'm going to get into probably my. I'd love to say it's my final point, but we all know I'm lying. Why is we we got to talk about Yoda the Hedgehog? <laughs> we got to talk about Yoda the Hedgehog, and let me say my piece, and then I will shut up and let you guys expound. Hey, that won best fight at the MTV Movie Awards. Uh huh. Twit. You guys can't see it, but my eye is twitching. Um, <laughs> Yoda the Hedgehog is the biggest betrayal of everything that came before it, pretty much since. Um, you know, I don't think there is a bigger betrayal. That may be the biggest betrayal of what came before. Because it takes all the lessons from episode five and tells you that you're wrong and that you were stupid for thinking that. Look at the flashing lights. Wars yeah. not make one great. Yoda's a freaking general now. Um, size matters not. Well, apparently it does because <laughs> Dooku could basically put his hand out and hold you away if he really wanted to, short man. Um, you know... I was looking for a great warrior. The whole juxtaposition of Luke finding Yoda as this great force master when he was looking for this powerful warrior. Well, guess what? You just ruined that because, oh yeah, by the way, Yoda's a fucking badass now. And then you're like, ah. and also he's super inefficient with his fights because it, <laughs> I mean, look at it. it he, he's trying so okay. hard to keep up with an old man. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I got nothing to say, but every Jedi is all about occasionally unnecessarily twirling a lightsaber. And frankly, I own a lightsaber. I do nothing but unnecessarily twirling it. So it, does, it, it's, it's, it is reasonable that he is the most unnecessarily twirling of Jedi yeah. being, you know, top, top Jedi or something. He's taught them all that move. That's the key. So get a bigger fucking lightsaber. <laughs> well, 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 I'm trolling you in, in real time. That's, that's what I'm doing. No, it's indefensible. It's indefensible, but I will also say, what are you going to do? And I do mean that. Like, um, now, there were other things to do. There were a lot of other things to do. They but have the, what they are have... you going to do is an interesting question with that setup. You want to show that Dooku can defeat Obi-Wan. Who, by the way, and you know, if you go to the extended stuff, even lightly, is supposed to be one of the best in his form ever was, uh, or at least at this point, he ought to be pretty good. Dooku yeah, is, his and... is his counterpart because he's a master duelist. Like they, they really emphasize in the external media that Dooku yeah. was literally the absolute best at lightsaber dueling that there had been in a hundred years, and that you know. And yep. yeah, this shows it. But he's a little older, and they do mention that older Jedi are degrading. And so they could have gone that way with it. Uh, they could have let Obi-Wan do better. Um, uh, they could have essentially pulled a rocky draw out of it, where Dooku wins, but by the skin of his teeth. I think that would have been the better choice. I think that's the better choice, and Dooku has to withdraw because more Jedi are coming, and he is wounded and got to go. That's what I would have done with that. And you can even have the Yoda that. scene where he pulls down the stuff on top of Obi-Wan and Anakin, and then Yoda comes in and saves the day. You just don't have the fight after it. Yes. And that would have been fine. 100% with that, too. Uh, but I also <laughs> would have loved it because it would have better echoes of Luke getting that one punch in on Vader. Like, 
Vader manhandles Luke in Empire, pretty much. He is toying with him, trying not to hurt him. And Luke continues to fight poorly. I mean, not bad. I mean, for a guy with, you know, what what, what really, like, compared to a real Jedi, how much training? Luke holds his own. But Luke, becoming desperate, actually takes some risky moves. And the choreography in Empire is good. And it pays off. He gets a lick in that could have gone badly for Vader. And Vader has to stop playing and take his arm right off right now. I think something similar to that. I know that Anakin had to lose the arm for a variety of reasons. Although, maybe not, but still. I still think that Obi-Wan getting a lick in on him, a nice solid wound, would have been uh, would have been nice there and set up some of those nice throwback callback type things. So let's wrap this so up. So that's the choice I would have made, yeah, but I, like I'm, badass I'm, Yoda is a bad choice, but it's a pleasing choice. Yeah, it's it, it was it's amusingly like executed, like not like the other amusing stuff that didn't execute. So I would give it like, you know, for the sequence five or six out of ten uh as opposed to an abject failure like other things i don't know okay. See, it, it's it's it works for the initial shock the more yes. you watch it the more you start i mean the thing is once again if you if this movie had been test screened like three or four times in the same audience it'd be like yeah eh, you know you, but for the first time you, the, the audience oh yeah wow and that's that's sort of the initial another issue you know it, it doesn't bear it's not about the rewatch it's the first watch it's not like you can go watch the ray park sequences or just the final fight with uh obi-wan qui-gon and darth maul and you can just watch that like you can just youtube that up watch it over and over and you will still uh, at least to the number of viewings i have got still see extra and more in it like how the footing worked here and how cleverly it was done and honestly given that uh you know neither of them were ray parks equal they did good too like everybody performed in that one it's that is probably hands down what i think is the best lightsaber work in any of the movies agree but anyway, I think we kind of, I think our audience is be like, man, this is a bit long conversation. So let's uh, let's get to our final thoughts. Um, Bruce, what, what's your last uh, final thought on this? The situation Lucas found himself in was that he would have a hard time doing anything, and yet he pressed through and achieved nothing with this movie. Well. This is the lowest ranked Star Wars film, in my opinion, because all he did was tell and he didn't show. All right. And for my final thought, I've said it before. You could fix this movie by editing half the movie out, which that alone shows bad decisions in many ways. So honestly, you know, the fact that the Clone Wars series that came out of it is what's praised. This movie is forgotten says a lot so the only good thing about this was we got some great expanded universe stuff out of this yep. it is well, also my worst star wars movie as well so i think we all universally agree we didn't like this movie and the more we watch it the more harder it is it took me two tries to watch the whole movie and i owned this movie on dvd i didn't want to put it in and i had it on disney plus and i kept pausing it because i didn't want to finish it <laughs> this is the worst Star Wars movie. It is the bad, it is the definitive bad Star Wars movie. 
So I've got one thing that I can do to make some lemonade out of this. Um, I, as as I mentioned last time, and I didn't necessarily at top of hour, uh, I will be debuting a podcast called How to Be Wrong. And given the strength of these two performances, I would officially like to say, Master George Lucas, I would invite you to my podcast to demonstrate to people how to be wrong. <laughs> Uh, George, if you're listening, please contact us at the Good, the Bad, and the Nerdy Movie Podcast on Facebook. Also, you can look us up on Twitter, Good, Bad, and Nerdy Movie Pod. Uh, please com- comment if you or anyone else is a Star Wars fan who has opinions. And I'm sure there's going to be some prequel lovers who are going to be getting angry if they listen to this podcast. But since the, I will clearly say this is a bad movie in the title, I, I'll be surprised if they actually listen. Because we know they exist. I've had fights with these people at Dragon Con before. <laughs> Folks, uh, thank you all for listening. Bruce, Will, thanks for being on the show. I hope you guys had a great time uh, venting and releasing your anger. Are you on the dark side now? My hatred gives me focus. <laughs> uh, I, I got nothing. I can't top that. <laughs> well... And uh, by the way, Will knows this. Bruce, you probably never heard of this. Uh, I actually own a Jar Jar Binks mask. It's just as terrifying as you've been led to believe. Yes. One year in 99, my Halloween costume was zombie Jar Jar Binks. So the, which I kept saying, you said we said, me said dead. Now me said got to hunt out you. <laughs> never do the voice again. Never. I agree Make with you. Make a Bruce. solemn oath for that. Never make the voice again. Wash not says okay. Yeah, he's doing it again. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all for listening, and may the force be with you, except this movie. And also with you.